Now, stomach. <laughs> did you hear that? It's yeah, wild. It's yes, all the keto. Oh, well, I'm not doing keto. Oh, keto. Okay. I'm just eating a lot of keto foods, and sure. um, so it's just wow. Okay. <clears throat> when we're reading the gospel mm. stories, that. Oh my I did hear that. <laughs> Okay, do we just accept that he's part of this now? Um, <laughs> Your uh, stomach? Yeah, oh yeah, totally. This is insane. I can't even believe it. <laughs> so this one's a little funny because the way you and I handle our present duties is by imagining. <laughs> that one... <laughs> Lindsay, this is so loud. He's getting louder. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 125. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are talking about imagination. In the words of one of the greatest minds to have existed, Albert Einstein, quote, imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world, end quote. In a culture bombarded with facts, opinion, and statistics, it can be all too easy for us to give up the fight in cultivating a healthy and holy imagination. But a well-formed and balanced imagination is more than just fun and fancy. It's an essential key to finding meaning and purpose to life and the world. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested to find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. This Tip of the Week was inspired by a moment Michelle and I had when we were guest speakers at a woman's group this past weekend. We selected two chairs to sit in and there happened to be a Canadian flag in between us and we moved our chairs side by side so that we weren't talking on either side of the flag. It felt instinctual to move our chairs and we joked that we should learn about flag etiquette. So here we are today learning about flag etiquette. Now being Canadian, I will focus on Canadian etiquette, but I will note some of the differences between Canadian and American customs. According to the Canadian government website, www.canada.ca, the manner in which flags are displayed here isn't something governed by laws, rather it's based on established practices and tradition. The National Flag of Canada does not need to be lowered at sundown, and when it is floated at night, it does not need to be illuminated. Now this is different than in the US where the flag is traditionally lowered at sunset, but if the decision is made to leave the American flag up all night for quote, patriotic effect, end quote, then it is to be illuminated during the hours of darkness. 
I am getting the American rules from the website military.com where they share the U.S. flag code and unlike the Canadian customs, the U.S. flag code is law. Now, when doing this research, I learned a new word, which is Canton. Technically, the Canton can be any quarter of a flag, but most people recognize it as the top left quarter of the flag when you're facing it. It is where the upper hoist connects. On an American flag, this is the section where the white stars are on the blue background. This section of the American flag actually has a name, and it is called the Union. Okay, so the canton is the most important position on a flag, and it determines how the flag is displayed when the flag is hung vertically. For the Canadian flag, the maple leaf must point to the left, which seems odd when you look at it, but it keeps the canton in the upper hoist position. Confused yet? I am. Now let's make it more confusing. When an American flag is displayed over the middle of a street, the Union, and you'll recall that's the blue square with the stars, must point to the north in an east and west street or to the east in a north and south street. Now this is super interesting. When an American flag is draped over a casket, the Union is at the head and over the left shoulder. The flag is not to touch the ground or to be lowered into the grave. As for the draping of a casket with the Canadian flag, all Canadians are eligible for this honor. And true, all Americans can also receive that, but only the military are provided with the flag for free. Uh, And funeral homes can help provide a casket flag that does not have a sleeve, toggle, or halyard. They can also help secure it to the casket with a retaining band. Now, unlike when a Canadian flag is hung vertically, the canton is to the upper right corner of a casket, which means the maple leaf points to the right. For military, veterans, and law enforcement, their headdress and a small black or red pillow to display their medals on is placed on the head of the casket, and then a sword or ceremonial belt is laid next with a wreath on the top at the end. Like with the American flag, the Canadian flag is not to be lowered into the grave, nor should it be burned in a crematorium. It is to be folded properly and then never to be flown again. I think we should leave it here. And next week we will learn about flag poles, finials, car pennants, and dipping a flag, half masting, and how to properly dispose of an old or damaged flag. Wow. But can we flank it when we sit and speak at a <laughs> women's conference. <laughs> that specific thing didn't come up yet. Okay. All right. But maybe maybe, maybe next, next, week. next week. Yeah. <laughs> we just felt that rule in our guts, Michelle. We just knew. <laughs> it is really interesting, though, like instinctually the respect for the flag, right? Yeah. Like even yeah. if even though we don't actually know to yeah. this point what the correct etiquette was, we knew that the flag had to be acknowledged yeah. and treated properly. And so what I love about learning a little bit more is this, um, it, it really is a source of patriotism for any country is the way in which we see and respect the flag with our actions. The mind is a powerful thing, but besides its capacity to hold facts and knowledge, to make decisions, and to plan out our days, another important aspect to our intellect that helps us live full lives is our imaginations. Mm -hmm. 
And we do love our imaginations, don't we, Lindsay? We really do, you and I. (laughs) uh, I was doing a little bit of research earlier just, you know, on Instagram, and I was finding out that, um, in particular, you and I really love our imaginations. (laughs) And what I discovered is there is a very large spectrum of adult viewpoints on the imagination. Mm. So I think first what we should do, like we often do, is just define it. Um, Mm -hmm. So what do we mean by imagination? Well, the dictionary says that it is the faculty or action of forming new ideas, images, and concepts not present to the senses. It is the ability of the mind to be creative or resourceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, defining it is so helpful because of that line about like without use of the senses, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That the mind can form these images or sensations or representations without the actual thing being present. That's what yes. imagination is. So even uh, like a super simple example that I found on goodtherapy.org was like, if you can, in this moment, think about the smell or taste of a lemon And you're not actually seeing or tasting a lemon right now as you're listening to our podcast. Um, You're using your imagination. That's what imagination is. It can conjure up these things and form and manipulate the images and concepts and emotions, um, sometimes independently uh, or totally independently of incoming stimuli. Yes. Now we're going to break it down more into even like subgroups of um, imagination. But one of the reasons you and I wanted to talk about this, and we wanted to talk about this topic for a long time, is that we both firmly believe that having the active imaginations that we do has actually proved very helpful um, mm-hmm. for us in our motherhood and our roles as homeschooling moms, right? In our vocations. Mm-hmm. Um, we've really found a lot of pleasure, actually, in the playfulness of our imaginations. Um, as we start to work our way through this episode, we're going to learn that imagination has been talked a lot about in the realm of theology, obviously mm-hmm. in psychology, uh, in terms of trauma and healing, um, so many different areas. But I think that even just going back to that idea of the lemon, um, it just mm-hmm. reminded me of, um, it, it doesn't have to be as elaborate as what you and I do. Everybody right. employs <laughs> those little tricks all the time throughout the day. And you're not even aware you're using your imagination, right? If you're standing mm-hmm. at the counter and you're cooking something for dinner and you think, well, what should I add a little lemon to that pack? pasta or something like that you're just saying your mind is immediately going to taste what you think that's going to taste like and so I um like with everything I tended to take this topic all the way to the one extreme (laughs) and we'll get into what you and I do not just you (laughs) right 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 we do this but forgetting that like in all of those little ways these little like the ways that we access our imagination um we do that in so many little ways throughout our days Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it really points, and we'll be able to get more into this when we talk about imagination from a theological perspective. But to me, what that signifies is that this is God-given, right? Yeah. This is very clearly part of the human makeup, is that our brains work in this imaginative way that we can't even, we can't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Um and that it comes unbidden in so many different capacities too. Uh, There's like the obvious creative capacities if you're thinking about writing stories or acting, um, but also in 
like in the little day-to-day things, like what you're saying with cooking, um, problem solving, all these different ways. The fact that imagination is so present and so um, at work, even when we don't realize it, leads me to believe um, that it is a God-given tool and resource that can only benefit us if we take the time to understand it better and be a little bit more aware of it and how to strengthen it even as we go, as we move forward. So let's go into the theology of it. Let's apply it to our faith. And I think you're right. It's such a tool that really can enhance our faith life. And it's actually something that we can clearly see has been woven throughout um, the way Jesus explained things, right? Um, It's Mm. biblical. And so much through the devotions and prayers and practices that we have taken on um, as a church throughout the centuries. It's just, it's actually a far bigger part of our faith life than we could have even imagined. Now, um, you had sent me an excellent talk on imagination from Census Fidelium. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I sent you my notes from that and you have notes from that. And we we're like, wow, that could have just been like that alone. <laughs> we could have just posted that. that yes. <laughs> like that alone. And maybe mm-hmm. we'll link to that, um, that talk because yeah. it's just so, so um, enlightening. But one of the things that the priest was talking about in that is that we can use our senses and our imagination to ennoble things and noble. Mm. I stopped with that because I'm like, first of all, excellent word. Like I love that, that we have this power, um, power to bring uh, a noble sense to things. Um, So one of the first ways that we can do that as Christians is that we can imagine ourselves among the disciples of Jesus when we're reading scripture, when we're reading the gospel stories. So I think that that's actually one of the things we really should actually be doing when we're reading scripture mm-hmm. is is placing us there um, at his feet as he's doing these teachings. Um, and likewise, we know that the Catholic mass, that we're at the foot of Christ on the cross at Calvary when we're at mass. And so also putting ourselves there like that requires imagination to put ourselves mm-hmm. in Christ's presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had actually first really started thinking about imagination from a theological perspective last year when I heard the daily reflection from In Conversation with God, um, which is a series that reflects on the daily gospel every single day of the liturgical year. And there was a whole day. It's actually coming up again. (laughs) I checked. It's uh, one of the reflections right after Easter uh, on making use of our imaginations. Mm. And this reflection mentions exactly what you were saying about how how it helps us to meditate on the scenes from the gospel. And it quotes St. Jose Maria um, Mm -hmm. Escriva, as it often does, and as we now often do. So (laughs) I just wanted to share what it said, because his advice actually makes that really clear. He says to quote, make it a habit to mingle frequently with the characters who appear in the New Testament. My advice is that in your prayer, you actually take part in the different scenes of the gospel as Mm. one more among the people present. First of all, imagine the scene or mystery you have chosen to help you recollect your thoughts and meditate. Next, apply your mind, concentrating on the particular aspect of the master's life you are considering, his merciful heart, his humility, his purity, the way he fulfills his father's will. Tell him then what happens to you in these matters, how things are with you, what is going on in your soul. Be attentive because he may want to point something out to you and you will experience suggestions deep in your soul, realizing certain things and feeling his gentle reprimands, end quote. 
And I was like, well, there you go. A step-by-step <laughs> instructional yes. from St. Jose Maria. But what this also indicates, and it goes along with what you were saying too, about how the mass also engages our imagination to place us there at the foot of the cross. That's mm-hmm. where we are at mass. Mm-hmm. Um is that in this in conversation with God reflection, it says that many of us Christians don't progress in our relationship with God or in holiness because we neglect this interior discipline, right? And that yeah. the imagination is helpful because our souls cannot think without the use of images. And so these images brought forth to our minds with our imaginations will only serve to bring us closer if they're well-formed and disciplined properly. Oh, yes. And so when I was in spiritual direction um, a couple of years ago with a different spiritual director, um, you know, we would talk about doing uh, like a Lectio Divina reading and meditating on the scripture. And he would kept using the word meditation. And I, you know, kept associating that with like the modern usage of, the, of meditation about emptying your mind. But this mm. is so different. And so while we use that word interchangeably in the faith with contemplation, um, it it helped me to understand it a bit more on contemplation because it is not the emptying of the mind. It is the exact opposite, right? It is like calling to mind all of these images and bringing them um, all there with you. And this is one of the things that we do when we pray the rosary. And for our non-Catholic listeners, the main thing of the rosary isn't those prayers. It is the meditation, the contemplation of the mysteries, of the mysteries of Christ's life, of the mysteries of different parts of scripture. Um, Mm -hmm. We are supposed, and it's very hard to do. So let's let's not (laughs) pretend like we're just deep into those mysteries, right? When we're (laughs) praying with our kids crawling all around. Um, But that is the intention that you announce a mystery and then Mm. you pray those 10 Hail Marys and you're supposed to be like going deep into that mystery. And you're actually just repeating, which it's not just empty repetitions. Um, That repetition is that act of um, taking you deeper into your brain. Like it's, it's, you're saying these things, your hands are moving in a sensory way over the beads, but it's to free your brain to really dive deep into that mystery. So it is very prayerful, all this act of trying to place ourselves there. It does require a creative imagination to do that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it also requires a disciplining yes. of your imagination, right? Yes. Because, uh, yeah, I I can see what you're saying with the fact that our minds roam so mm-hmm. easily unchecked <laughs> yes. when we're trying to do any of these things, whether it's prayerful meditation on scripture or praying the rosary or being at the mass. Um, our imaginations can also just kind of run wild. Yes, they can. <laughs> and so... Yeah. And so all that to say is that there there is like a discipline of the imagination that has to come into play too. Um, but that if we can do that, then it's strengthening our intellect as mm-hmm. well, because we have it under control, right? Like so yeah. many of the other things um, that we have to practice self-control over, it can be good unless it's left to run wild and then it becomes more of a vice. And the same thing is true with imagination too. It can be of massive help and benefit to us in our spiritual lives. Um, but only if we're mindful that it's something that I guess in, in a way we could say like it has to be tamed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, put under control. And I think it's important to point out here too, that whenever I've heard, um, great saints who, um, 
have been canonized, but like um, we're alive and we're recorded, speak on prayer and meditation mm. and contemplation, or when we've read their words, you know, who are the ones before TV and recordings, um, they've all talked about how hard it was, even if they live only, a few, you know, in a small community yes. of other nuns or priests or monks, unless you're in complete, so actually the ones in solitude too have said their minds wander. So it isn't just us busy moms who are trying to pray and all of those who've committed to like a solitary religious life are able to just sink deep into that without the distractions. You're right. What's going on in our mind. Um, we'll never have absolute control over. Um, the one priest was saying it's like, uh, our imagination is like a two-year-old. <laughs> Just picture it like a yeah. toddler <laughs> inside of our head, moving all around. We, we will never have absolute control over it, but our, our continued, um, efforts to lift it upwards, um, is only going to benefit us. I do love that you brought up that the saints also have difficulty with this because mm -hmm. that gives us so much hope. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, and I also loved in that talk on census fidelium, the priest was saying that uh, in terms of your mind uh, being distracted and wandering, St. Teresa of Avila actually calls it la loca. Yes. <laughs> like yes. the crazy lady that yes. lives upstairs. <laughs> yeah. I totally laughed out loud when he said yes. that. So St. Teresa's advice is to say like, yeah, she's there. Just ignore her mm -hmm. and keep focused on God and keep on with that pursuit of holiness and focus and on what you're trying to deliberately imagine and let mm -hmm. La Loca alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And one of the ways to maybe tame La Loca <laughs> is that we yeah. have to be very careful about what we consume. And, absolutely, you know, you and I've talked about this on a lot of other episodes, particularly our entertainment episodes. But again, like guarding your senses, guarding what you're allowing into your brain, um, because mm -hmm. then your imagination has so much more to play with, depending on what you've taken in. And your imagination can reach back in through with memory, right? all the way back yeah. and pull out images and things from 20, 30 years ago. Um, the priest said it's, it's like a pregnant woman. We have to think about that. Like it's, um, and what she's so careful about what she puts into her body and right. that we are, we house our Lord, like our soul is there and, and our Lord is, is, is in there. And so it's like, what are we allowing into our bodies with that? What are we consuming? So, um, our St. Teresa does go on to really talk about how our imagination is distinct from our intellect, that when we imagine things, when things pop into our heads, if we aren't entertaining it or allowing ourselves to like really go deep into it, if it's impure or we shouldn't be thinking, we don't have to feel guilty about that. It is not sinful when things pop into our heads like that. Um, we aren't mm -hmm. desiring it. Right. And so we don't have to beat ourselves up over these thoughts that pop in our head. And I'm saying this because this has happened to me so many times. As you guys know, I lived a very worldly life um, before coming mm. into the church. And so oftentimes, whether it's through dreams or my mind wandering, I'll have memories from that old, really crazy past life. Um, and those pop into my mind. And I can't control that that popped into my mind. Um, my intellect mm -hmm. and my reason can decide what it's going to do after with it. But yeah, we can't I think it's really important that the church acknowledges that we can't control our imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that it makes that distinction because I think we can fall into scrupulosity yes, yes. when it comes to that. Right. And we can be like unduly harsh with ourselves. And then that 
really leads to a lot of discouragement yeah. in the spiritual life, which will not propel us upwards. So um, the church, as a good mother, um, already acknowledges that that could and probably will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not uh, linger over that, to work instead on being able to catch it right away and then dismiss it right away Yes, as a discipline, which is so good. But then to the opposite end, um, to what you were saying earlier, then it is also important too to be really discerning about what exactly yeah. we do allow in on purpose into our minds, right? Yeah. So also in this jam-packed homily that was just filled with great information, um, the unnamed priest talks about um, these steps to, to gain a bit of control over our imagination um, that are from St. John of the Cross. And the first one is, is, is exactly what you and I were just talking about. It's to keep custody of the external senses, especially mm-hmm. the eyes, um, so that we can avoid seeing sinful things. Um, but then we focus on the kingdom of God. We taste and see. And I, all I can think about is the song, is it Glory and Praise or Catholic Book of Worship? <laughs> yes. The taste and see song. Oh, um, That's our imagination. That is, we can conjure right? that, that <laughs> right now without song. hearing it. I'm yeah. singing it right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we can do that. We can turn our senses then towards that which is more delightful and gives us peace because we all know that when we are letting in things right into our external external senses that um, are sinful, it doesn't give us that peace. So that's the first thing. Keep custody of the external senses, especially mm-hmm. the eyes. Yeah, there is one thing that he mentioned um, that is, I think he said it was a Spanish saying Mm -hmm. that basically eyes that do not see is a heart that does not feel. Mm -hmm. And that he applied that to this whole idea of keeping custody of the eyes. And I really loved that connection that he made. Like, if you don't see something, then you will have no reaction to it. Um, you'll have no response to it. And like we were saying with the imagination, it conjures things up from um, things that we have had input from sensor, like sensory wise in the past. And so if you, if we are careful about stopping that right at the, right at the gate, if we can, then uh, that will help us and aid us in keeping a check on our imagination then. 100%. And I think that if people have never been exposed to those things that can stick in your memory, it's hard to believe that that's possible. Like, um, but I see now as someone who has those experiences and then I'm raising children where I'm trying to prevent that. I really do see the importance of custody of the eyes and what you're allowing into your brain. Because like I said, I am not exaggerating when I say that images and those things pop up in my brain from 30 years ago, right. That I, that pop Mm. up without my control. And I just wish they weren't there to begin with. Um, so the second thing from St. John the cross, is the recommendation of avoiding sloth and uh, like just completely Mm. avoiding all slothful behaviors. Our imagination is never silent and it can't be turned off ultimately, right? And he says that we have less control over our imagination when we are tired, which is first thing in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and every mom. I wanted to be like, (laughs) yes, father, and every mom who's I was going to say, right. And every moment in between. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Just the morning and the night and every minute in between. That's right. (laughs) But I can see how our imaginations Mm -hmm. are running wild when we are sleep deprived. Um, And in those early years, right. 
And I mean, we won't even really fully get into this, but it, like think about postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, the horrible mm. things that can go through your brain postpartum. I mean, it just totally makes sense um, that it would get fired up when we are exhausted. Now, aside from those things, the recommendation from this priest is that, again, you look into doing like a holy minute or that the first, and we've talked about this before, but that before mm-hmm. your feet even hit the ground, take control of your senses, take control of your imagination um, by just you know, rooting yourself in God from that first moment. Um, and then he also talked about, I thought this was so interesting. Keep yourself occupied, um, right up until you fall asleep. So he recommends reading Mm -hmm. right up until you fall, which is what I do now. (laughs) I don't know about everyone else, but I'll read until everything's blurry on the page. Right. And all the words are shifting and moving. And then I just quickly put down my book and go to bed. But then sometimes my imagination continues writing the storyline. Have you ever done this? Oh, Tell me I'm not alone no. in this. Okay. What? Someone out there. Okay. okay like, Explain. My brain for like another 10 minutes will keep, it's all nonsense. It's all jumbled together, but I still think I'm reading for another five or 10 oh. minutes in this weird dreamlike state where the characters are still present. I'm still using like the tone and the language of the book. As you know, I'm reading a lot of Victorian literature, so it's like that tone. Mm-hmm. Um and it will keep going. And I think I'm still like, I'm like writing the book as I'm trying to fall asleep. So anyways, it can sometimes jumble my brain. Um, but okay. <laughs> it does prevent me from going over so many of those things that keep so many people up at night, to do lists, anxieties, what you didn't get done that day, what you need to do tomorrow. Like I'm not thinking those things. I'm reading Les Mis. <laughs> right. Yeah. So to your point, I don't think I would say that I continue writing the story Mm -hmm. because I'm the same way. I will read until I can't keep my eyes physically open Mm -hmm. any longer. And I was so happy he said that because that just gives me spiritual reasoning to keep doing it. (laughs) Um, But I will just like, I don't know how you would say, like I percolate in what I just read. Like it's still in my brain. Yeah. That's what I fall asleep to. Whatever I read, I end up falling asleep to. And I think maybe what he was saying in this homily, maybe has just made me more aware of that. So it's made me start thinking, I'm like, what do I read? Yeah. Right before I go to bed. That's a really interesting question. I think I'll ask myself right now. He says, right, that St. Jerome tells us to, uh, we should always fall asleep with a Bible in our hands. Yeah. Yeah. I don't usually, I'm not usually reading the Bible. <laughs> no, right no I'll admit bed. that I am also not reading the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a really, it, it's a good thought exercise yeah. anyways, to, to really be aware of just what we're reading. Cause I guess it does really, it keeps you in that vein until sleep takes you yeah. and that can be an aid. Yeah. To keep your mind from wandering wildly in every direction when you're trying to get rest. Yeah, Absolutely. And now the third thing is um, attention to the duty of the present moment. This is what um, so many mom Mm. bloggers have taken on and you and I have talked about and mindfulness. Well, this is St. John of the Cross. And I forget, when did he live? The 1600s, Michelle? Do you know? A long time ago. Like, (laughs) yes, long before mommy bloggers and podcasters. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, attention to the duty of the present moment. So imagination presents to us stuff that is not real. It is an illusion. So we need to focus on what is reality. What is your present duty? Mm. 
Okay, so we'll just acknowledge right now that that's great advice, but that you and I use our imagination to help <laughs> us deal with whatever we need to be doing, our present duty. Um, so yes. we kind of feel like we found a loophole, right? Like we are able to, we feel better do our duty as moms and our vocation when we do use our um, imagination to enhance our present duties, right? <laughs> Right. Yes. Okay. I love that we're trying trying to justify this because I had the exact same thought. Yeah. I I was like, for all the other points, I was like, yes, yes, that's so good. Yes, I'm gonna try to do that. And I got to this one. Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, ooh, respectfully disagree. Yeah. See, John, John of the, the Cross. cross. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it. I know what he's saying, yeah. and I think we'll probably talk about our. Um, imaginations as we do our duties in the present moment a little bit later. So all this to say, we need, we felt the need to call ourselves out. That's correct. Early on in the episode. Yes. We see it. We see it. We know. Um, Okay. So the next one um, is uh, this one's so obvious, but fill your imagination with good things, right? Ennoble it. Again, I just Mm. love that word. So like we were saying before, place yourself at the transfiguration, place yourself there. You're invited. I'm invited. We can be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was talking about how whenever he's teaching, kids catechism it can be very dry right michelle we both Mm. know this um yes (laughs) but giving them those examples concrete examples helping bring them in this is why i've only ever been to one opus day recollection night but they do really good guided examinations of conscience like that whole like guided Mm. meditation of going deep into scripture this is all a great tool to have in your toolbox and to bring children along to it and this is where you would use something like the chosen right a show you love right um oh i love it yes like fill your imagination so that when you're imagining you might yes see that actor as jesus but you're filling your imagination with that now the other thing here is using holy images in your house obviously we are Mm -hmm. catholics our houses are filled with statues um of the sacred heart we have the immaculate heart so having those images around your house that's what's being fed into your mind right and just like we would fill our house with pictures of loved ones our grandparents Mm -hmm. our wedding photo to recall you know that joyful day um having those images around our house of the saints and of jesus and mary and that all does go into our imagination and we can recall it when we need to it's right there Hmm. Yeah. And another point too about filling our imagination with good things is edifying and holy entertainment, mm-hmm. right? I remember um, maybe last year or the year before, I went through this phase of really looking for movies that left me walking away feeling convicted. Yeah. Right. Um, that was when I was watching um, the the Hidden Life. Mm-hmm. In life, um, which we referenced a few times on the podcast, just these movies and these stories that inspire us yeah. um, to faith, to moral and upright lives, uh, to courage, to bravery. These stories, uh, stories are so important yeah. when we form our imaginations and we can pick good ones. It's not like an absence of all other forms of um, input other than scripture, although that's the most important. Yep. Um, it's just being really uh, selective because they're out there and you can actually just form your own catalog yep. <laughs> in your mind of these incredible stories to call back on in your imagination. And I love that you mentioned scripture, of course, because we should be memorizing scripture so you can fall back mm-hmm. on it, right? So it's present in your mind. Saint quotes, you and I... <laughs> 
we love to stumble over the ones we thought we memorized until we're recording and then we don't know them. Um, yeah. But just having those. And I remember listening to Father Wolf once talk about um, like remembering folk songs of your like cultural tradition, oh, yes. the idea of having um, either hymns or the old spiritual songs. I love those, the spirituals. Um, and then, yeah, chant mm-hmm. even and folk music. Um, having that stored within you so that it comes out um, of you as you're working and you won't even realize sometimes that you're humming or singing along. How many times have I wa- I'm not even kidding. When I walked in and my kids have been humming the credo from the Latin mass <laughs> and they're playing like oh. <laughs> with toys. Um, so those things do get into our brains and then our imagination will access those. It will access whatever's in there, good or bad. Mm-hmm. So the fifth one is ignoring distractions. Um, We already touched on this a little bit about how hard it is to pray with any distractions. Um, They're going to come, right? It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. We're going to have distractions all the time. But when you focus on God, on loving God, um, you need to keep that as your actual focus. So we already talked about mass being at the foot of Calvary. um, And he talks, the priest talks about how there were distractions there. It actually gets a little funny, even though it's not a very serious topic, right? Where he's like, the Mm -hmm. um, when the Marys and John were at the foot of the yeah. cross. They weren't like, stop soldiers. You're gambling too loudly over the garment, the seamless garment. Like we're trying to pray here. Like we have to just accept that there were even at the mm. foot of the cross, there were distractions. Um, right. I wish I had in my notes and I don't, but I remember when somebody asked um, mother Teresa about how she prayed over the noise of the streets of Calcutta. Like it is a noise that unless I guess we've been there, we can't even imagine how loud it was outside of the, you know, not double glazed glass windows of the convent. Um, Mm. It was very, very loud. And it's like she didn't even notice it. It, it, she had just trained herself out or St. Therese of Lisieux talking about the nun who, what did she do? Click or she... Oh, yes. I can't remember. Yeah, she she did something during prayer. Yes. That St. Therese found so distracting yeah. and annoying. Yeah, she was losing her mind over it. This, she's such yeah. a real saint, right? She's like, this she is, is annoying me so badly. <laughs> so I don't exactly remember when St. Therese talked to her spiritual director about it, what he said to do about it. But I know, I think it's in Story of a Soul. Do you know, Michelle? Yeah, well, I actually just Googled it. And okay, cool. it is in Story of a Soul. You are correct. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, it has the whole quote right here. So I'm just going to say the whole quote because she says it so well. Like, mm-hmm. And if people haven't read St. Therese of Lisieux, maybe you'll love her so much that you'll read her book too. <laughs> yeah. But she says this, quote, For a long time, my place of meditation was near a sister who fidgeted continually, either with her rosary or something else. Possibly, as I am very keen of hearing, I alone heard her, but I cannot tell you how much it tried me. I should have liked to turn around and by looking at the offender, make her stop the noise. But in my heart, I knew I ought to bear it tranquilly, both for the love of God and to avoid giving pain. So I kept quiet. But the effort cost me so much that sometimes I was bathed in perspiration and my meditation consisted in merely in suffering with patience, end quote. Mm. And then she says that, quote, after a time, I tried to endure it in peace and joy, at least deep down in my soul. And I took actual pleasure in the disagreeable little noise. Mm. And instead of trying not to hear it, which was impossible, I set myself to listen 
as though it had been some delightful music and my meditation, which was not the prayer of quiet, was passed in offering this music to our Lord, end quote. And so that's how she dealt with distraction, right? Like she yeah. maintained prayer. And that's exactly actually what this all this advice is saying, right? The perseverance in prayer is that she didn't stop praying. She didn't just give up. She instead just accepted that, you know, it is what it is and offered it to God as part of her prayer. And you know what else she did? She used her imagination and pretended it was like heavenly music right she yes delightful music she reframed it to call to mind another yes. modern lady podcast episode. <laughs> um and she used her imagination right um to elevate it to ennoble mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. to lift it up oh my goodness wow yeah that's it. that's why we turn that's to the, the saints this the is end. why we turn to the saints <laughs> yeah because they blow our minds every single time mm-hmm. with things that we're all dealing with and the way that they you know, yes. they dealt with it too. And the way that they can instruct us and provide us with that example, it is it, every single time I read, I'm like, right. And you have this immediate little, you know, gut punch of, yep, that's exactly how we should be handling it. <laughs> and that's why you're a saint. Yes, exactly. Um, so the last thing, the sixth one from St. John of the Cross is um, ascend to God. Just we have to remember that God is beyond anything that we can imagine, right? Anything that our little human minds can try to create. Um, God is beyond all of that. And so every time we try to continuously ascend to him, it just brings us higher and higher and higher. Like there, there is no limit in our earthly mind to how far we can reach if we keep ascending towards God. Um, we should never be content with our limited understanding so we must of god so we must keep striving to draw closer to him mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point that just as our imaginations are god-given gifts to help us in our daily lives and seek mm-hmm. personal relationship with him it can also serve us as a, a spurring and a reminder to keep reaching with our imaginations for that height, right? Yeah. Um, that God actually wants us to be there because he gave us the means to do that. And yep. so I find that a really hopeful aspect to our relationship with him. So with that, we're going to wrap up this first part of our two-part series on imagination. Now, next week, we plan to dig deeper into how leaning into our imaginative lives has impacted advancements in literature, science, psychology, and philosophy. Uh, We're also going to talk about how we use our imaginations in our homemaking and in really bringing beauty to our everyday lives. It will be another big one. But we wanted to begin here with how we can use our imaginations in our faith and interior lives because we see now that a mind attuned to the imaginative genius of God is the foundation of the outward expressions that follow. So more on this next week. Stay with us and stay tuned. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? 
Well, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this show before, but it's truly <laughs> what my family and I have been loving over the last mm-hmm. two weeks. And it is the Netflix show Somebody Feed Phil, starring Phil Rosenthal, the writer and creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. So you've watched it, Michelle, right? So I'm oh yes, you're familiar yeah. with all of this. Uh, you mm-hmm. also have your own real life Somebody Feed Phil with your own husband. <laughs> I am Phil. the person that feeds Phil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But someone else also feeds Phil, and that's what this show is about. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So for the not-your-husband Phil, Phil Rosenthal, it follows him around as he travels the world, and he tries the food everywhere he goes. Um, He tries everything from street food to food cooked in people's homes um, to high-end dining. It's beautifully filmed. Um, It's almost totally family-friendly. You can use your own discretion. And it's mm-hmm. laugh out loud funny. Um, mm-hmm. Our favorite part about the show is Phil's personality and how he's just so open and respectful about the cultures he encounters and how he makes friends wherever he goes. Our family is hoping to travel soon, finally, for the first time in our lives. And we've been really inspired by how Phil is just so excited everywhere he goes. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. He's just so excited to try new foods and to go on these adventures. Um, It's a very wholesome show and always leaves us dying to hop on a plane or at the very least run into the kitchen to make something to eat. Um, And, you know, because we can't travel right now, it it does help with our imaginations. So I really still back then I recommended it. And still now I recommend somebody feed Phil. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, he's a great example of someone who I imagine has a great imagination. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And it makes him so lovable, right? Mm-hmm. You can see it. It's just like shooting out of his face how much you can tell he's been <laughs> imagining this and like creating these stories and writing in his head because he's he, at his heart, he's a writer still, mm-hmm. right? And a comedy writer on top of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just awesome. So, yeah, what have you been mm-hmm. loving this week? Well, I know that for several months now, the question on everyone's mind has been, has Michelle found another K-drama to love since Crash Landing on You in September? Right? You're all thinking it. All of us. Yes. (laughs) It's been plaguing minds for months. Well, to set your minds at ease, I have indeed found another (laughs) K-drama that I've been loving these past few weeks. Um, This one is called Snowdrop. And it's actually, it's really interesting because it takes place during a real historical event in South Korean history. Uh, And this prompted me to do a lot of on-the-fly Googling while I watched, and I learned quite a lot. It takes place in 1987 during a political election year that was quite tumultuous. Um, It included something called the June 1987 Democracy Movement, Uh, And basically, that was a mass protest movement that was trying to force the then dictatorship government in South Korea to hold fair elections. Um, The plot of the show is set in November and December of that year. So right, right before the elections were to take place. And it centers around um, a young university student at the Women's University in Seoul. She ends up meeting and helping a young man that she believes is one of these student protesters in this movement. But he is not who he first appears to be. And this leads one way or another to a hostage situation at the university. It causes major complications. I know it took a turn um, in both their relationship uh, and also in a huge way in the politics of what was going on in South Korea at the time. 
Um, so yeah, it is thrilling and suspenseful. It's interesting and historical. Um, and it was just a really great story that really captivated me. Um, there are a couple of warnings that I thought I should make clear because if you're thinking that this is just like crash landing on you, um, the show that I recommended earlier, uh, it is quite a bit darker and more serious than that. Uh, there is more violence, you know, being a hostage takeover and right, a political right. thriller. <laughs> so the themes are much more mature in that regard. Keep that in mind. And then there is the issue of language. There were a few instances of swearing, um, in particular blasphemy in the captions, which came up uh, late in the series. Uh, now, it was really only restricted to one of the supporting characters uh, not speaking Korean. I'm not actually sure if this was actually what they were saying or mm -hmm. if it was just the closed captioning. Because uh, I know you were mentioning once, Lindsay, that you were watching a show that captioned blasphemy but yes. when you looked up what the person was actually saying that's not how it translated yep. at all actually yep. in english uh, so i uh, i don't know and the way i personally discerned um to continue and get around that was that going forward every time this uh, side character came up i just switched off the captions he was side character enough that it didn't really interrupt the flow of the story so Besides those few um, instances, uh, all this to say, my final thoughts on this particular show is that um, it, it was a great example of what we love to call edutainment, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really enjoyed these past few weeks of watching it because it did engage both my imagination and also my intellect. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about the history of South Korea at that time politically and yeah, the main storyline is really sweet and it contains great lessons on the importance of choosing right from wrong, discerning propaganda in the media was a big theme through the whole series, and ultimately doing what's right, even when it means suffering and sacrifice on your part. Hmm. Okay, you've sold me. I got halfway through cra the first episode of Crash Landing into okay. you. <laughs> Where there was the actual crash landing. Um, oh, yeah. And <laughs> you have and to continue. You okay, have to push okay. through. Hey, I will. <laughs> so this one sounds a little bit more interesting. So I'm not, I haven't given up on the K-dramas. I'm still just okay. in love with my um, Korean housewives on YouTube. So I'm still, I'm oh, still you're... in the same region as you. <laughs> just I was genre. just going to say. You're not too far off. Stick with the <laughs> Korean housewives and uh, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Thank if you. you've also, because I got messages after recommending Crash Landing on You from some mm -hmm. of you who ended up watching it and loved it as well, help us out here and um, plead your it. case to Lindsay. <laughs> sell it. Sell it. Help me sell it. <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhelmaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.